I think what we borrowed from the JRPG genre mm -hmm. is a lot of the gameplay. From a camera angle perspective, from a world design perspective, from UI, like there's all these different pieces that are all coming together. Side quest accepted. When I think of JRPGs, I think of uh, Nier Automata because there was something about it, something about how they did the camera angles in the game, how they changed your perspective as you like went around these worlds. The soundtrack was absolutely mind-blowing in my opinion. There was like, there was so many different things about it, right? And on top of that, I think Nier had a really, really passionate modding base. So like there was things evolving outside of that even. So it was like this ecosystem that was just very, very engaging. And that was something that excited me about that side of the genre. For you, I guess the music in this game, right? Is that something that is kind of front and center as you're starting to create this world and build it out? Or is that something that's kind of got to come later to fit into the world you're building? When I set out to build this world, mm -hmm. every aspect of it, I wanted to feel immersive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a tension paid to sound effects, there's attention paid to music, there's attention paid to the way sound effects are implemented. So yeah, like definitely music is one of the front and center pieces. And mm. the two guys I have working on on the music, uh, one of them's a friend of mine from, we've been friends for like 15, 18 years, something like that. And, yeah. and he's he's uh, fantastic. And and the other guy I met just, you know, a year or two ago, and he's he's fantastic as well. And, and uh, they're both really great to work with. Mm. And so, yeah, the music is, I think it's going to be fun for people to, to listen to. But then when I look at the description for your game, I saw that this game is inspired by Celtic folklore but it's also a JRPG those are two very distinct cultures and they're two very distinct styles and even the music again circling back is very different as well so how do you blend those two things together right I think what we borrowed from the JRPG genre mm -hmm. is a lot of the gameplay yeah right like the battle systems the you know the more crunchy mm -hmm battles and and customizations and um what we're borrowing from the celtic backgrounds are, are more the lore mm. right like the the creatures the the mannerisms mm -hmm. the the environments the yeah. that kind of stuff i see and then for the music like we're being inspired by more like traditional celtic music there's a lot of fiddle work mm. a lot of like irish flute it feels really unique mm -hmm. and it feels really good so far. But for you specifically, when you're creating like a JRPG, but then it's also this pixelated world from a camera angle perspective, from a world design perspective, from UI, like there's all these different pieces that are all coming together. When you're looking at that on a macro level, how do you blend all that successfully into one cohesive game? Yeah, it's, it's really tricky, right? Because we started out like very first discussions I started having with Tim, the creative director, mm -hmm. was like, how big are the tiles going to be? I was like, um, you know, I don't know. And I About said a number. Big. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, no. That's it. That's not. He's like, I wouldn't go any bigger than, you know, 32, 32. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, we had to like think about it because mm. the game's going to be released on Steam, but I, I also, it's going to release on Switch mm -hmm. and, you know, hopefully PlayStation, Xbox. But yeah. you think about like the Switch, it's got a small screen, you know, if you're handheld. So you've got some limitations there. It's a trick, right? And mm -hmm. in those types of games where you're kind of like top down or whatever, you don't see the sky. So we've got to do tricks to do that. So we've got a couple scenes where we've got like a hilltop and like a panorama and you can see the sky. And so 
you can do kind of directional like not like left right but like as a yeah. director you can you can like have can pan up do little tricks to pan up to make it look like you're looking up to the sky or something like that and mm. and uh, get a sense of the world and, and yeah. a little bit of scale and for you specifically with this engine you mentioned it's in unity but you also have what well, we had you know talked previously about this game you have this template system that overlays on top of your unity engine to help you kind of expedite your process correct so walk me through how that works and what it does for this game specifically and the team who works within it i mean these guys build the framework right mm. like it's yes it's, you know, the, the guys that are working on this they built it so mm. it is specifically for jrpg style games so yeah. it does things like it takes tiled maps from the a program called tiled you know we can just kind of use them directly mm. which is great because then we can we can set up pipelines and templates in those tools so that the rest of the team it facilitates their work right yeah so like when we're building a map there's there's a template that we follow mm -hmm. like how do you do depth sorting how do you do layering of different things how do you uh do object collision and, and that kind of stuff so that's all figured out and set up in these mm -hmm. templates and then the system framework in Unity, it understands how to how to use all of that stuff. It's it's almost like a multiplier on top of stuff to to get things done. The same with audio, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's that's true. I think of most JRPG style mm -hmm. games, like JRPGs, is like there's so much work up front mm -hmm. to get something that looks like it works yeah. and that you can actually use. You can't just have one character, right? Like, mm -hmm. you have to come up with a whole like, okay, how do you animate? We have to have a, a framework for animation, yep. right? How do you the battle system? What are you gonna do? Like, how do you get that started? I'm sure you're going to publish this game in China. Publishing in China and, and even in Asia is different than publishing in the West. So how do you approach that? In terms of publishing, at some point, probably I'm going to have to work with a publisher for these specific regions Yeah. anyway, or or maybe one publisher who kind of does many different regions because it is totally, you know, foreign to me. Like the U.S. audience, like fine, like I grew up in the U.S., so I understand that. But when it comes to like the Chinese audience, because they have their whole own ecosystem. Yep, exactly. Like, do. So mm -hmm. I don't know where to where to look for that or how to get the word out there and mm. like that so yeah i think you have to rely on folks who know what they're doing and kind of loop them in on things i see because otherwise you're going to spend so much time just trying to figure it out and learn and, mm. and you'll drop things along the way that you yeah. should have been focusing on and ultimately, if you give it to somebody who understands the market and understands the culture, no matter how much time you put into it, they're probably going to be able to do it a little bit better if they know what they're doing. Yeah. And so it's probably. just more efficient. And they're way, probably right? going to have a team of people who are local to that area. Talk to me about the game itself, right? So Forge of the Fae, talk to me about the gameplay, talk to me about the story, how this game is built, and what players should expect as they as they go into this game. Obviously, it's a JRPG-style game. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, sort of like, you know, three-quarters view, a traditional kind of look and feel mm -hmm. in terms of gameplay you're going to get a lot of what you're familiar with and some new stuff there's a mix of things in there but we want it to be engaging we want it to be fun we want there to be you know puzzles and problem solving and we wanted it to be sort of a a story first and a game and then the in terms of combat we've got a couple of really unique um systems that you can do there's a lot of interesting customizations that mm -hmm. the players will be able to mess with and explore and <clears throat> there should be enough of that that players will get a slightly different experience the way they kind of choose to approach things and uh and then yeah of course we just want to build this kind of beautiful world that mm -hmm. that people can can go back through and find little paths that, mm -hmm. that they didn't notice before or yeah. different parts of the world are unlocked and they can get, just get deeper into the segment of the world that we've created mm -hmm. you mentioned this game has 
a very, very rich story in it. So when I think of a game that has a lot of story in it, I think of a lot of text, right? And with a game, especially JRPG, there's a localization element to it. Localization yeah. is its own beast. There's a lot that goes into it. So when you think of localization, how are you making that easier right now so that it's streamlined in the long run? Because you've been streamlining a lot of stuff for this game. I'd imagine you kind of had that in the back of your mind as well, too. We're trying not to overbear people with text. Like, that's that's one of the things that immediately comes up. You're like, well, it's a story-rich game, so there must be a lot of reading. Yeah. And we're trying to not do that, right? We're trying to use what we have for direction to tell the story. There's systems in place that we have for going through and getting the text away from the actual game yeah. so that it can be localized. And then, you know, there's uh, someone I've been chatting with here in Japan who does localization for kind of similar games. I mean, it's just a huge process, right? Like, you have to know the context of what, you know, is being said yep. in the game. Exactly, so, yeah. you know, as much as you can put little notes into the actual script for people to read, um, the, you know, these little notes are never going to make it into like the dialogue boxes or anything like that. But, yep. like, you know, having the scenes kind of printed out in a way, mm -hmm. right? Like, so your instructions for the scene are there with your text. Yeah. So that way you can kind of see what's happening. You can kind of imagine what's happening. And mm -hmm. then I think these guys that do localization for a living, they just play the game over and over and over again. <laughs> You said you made a Japanese Twitter for this game, right? What is a Japanese Twitter? Is that different from this one, from like your regular Twitter? Or how does they, or is just all the writing in Japanese and you're pushing it in that direction? Like, how does that work? Again, like, I'm not a marketing guy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, there's been a lot of interest in the game mm -hmm. in, in the US and yeah. in Europe. English speaking interest on Twitter. It'd be great to start announcing this game a little bit in Japan since mm -hmm. I'm here. Yeah, you know, um, I'm in the right time zone anyway. Yeah. So I was like, do I simply create Japanese language posts on the main Twitter account, mm -hmm. or do I create a new Twitter account mm. which is based in Japan? And so I was like, I'll do the, I'll do the latter, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's like a separate Twitter account, and it has like the katakana version of Forge of the Fae, which is basically translates to Forge of Fae. And mm. what I've been doing is when I created a post, I would do it in English first. And then uh, a buddy of mine here who does localization, mm -hmm. he would go through it and create the Japanese version of that post. And then I would just kind of copy paste that out to the to the Twitter account. So with this game, I think we have to talk about Japan, right? You're in Japan. That is JRPG. We got to talk about Japan as a country right now. And I want to lead off because I wanted to ask you this on our prep call. This is a fascinating question. My girlfriend was trying to hold up a little side as I was talking to you. She was like, ask him about the 7-Elevens. And I couldn't see it. So I didn't ask you on the prep call. But I want to ask you right now because I love the question, right? I see YouTube videos all the time where like the 7-Elevens are just mind-blowing in Japan and South Korea and stuff. And I'm like, are they really that good? Or is it just YouTube like putting this like golden, you know, glow over everything? And it's like, you know, it's all fake. If you, you're there. Are they as awesome as they look? Pretty great. They're pretty to say. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the way the way it, they're pretty great. Yeah. Um, the, the way, especially compared to Seven Elevens in the states. Yeah. Especially compared to Seven Elevens in the states. Yeah. So the Seven Elevens here are owned by Seven Holdings, mm -hmm. and so it's a Japanese company. So they have, I think, a lot of flexibility mm. to turn it into a convenience store that's really targeted at the at the Japanese demographic. I and see. so that makes it like very competitive mm. as a convenience store so you know you can go in there and and you can kind of live off of this this store these convenience wow. stores like family mart and 7-eleven and lawson's yeah. and and uh, yeah like you 
Like you go in, you can get a sandwich, you can get um, a hot dog, you can get a drink, you can pay your bills. Mm -hmm. You can, which is crazy because I pay my bills at 7-Eleven. That's wild. They just have a huge variety of stuff, but they have only one or two mm -hmm. yeah. of each thing. Mm. So, but they're all, they're always, you know, decent quality. So like, yeah. you know, if you need to get like a small, you know, if you need to buy like a small pen and paper, like mm -hmm. it's there, right? Like. The stores are not huge, yeah. but they just kind of have everything and the quality is so high. Here's my thing. If I went to any gas station in the US, right? I remember when I was younger, I went to like a BP or something. I was really hungry one night and I got, I think sushi, which is like, you never get sushi from a, from a gas station in the US ever. That's and, rough. And I did it, yeah. And I paid the price for it. And then I see all these videos later in life and I'm like, wow, like, other countries they do it right japan they're doing it right like they they know what's up and then you come to like you go at the gas station down the road here and they're like what is happening in the world you know like so <laughs> it's, it's an interesting yeah, we, we were visiting we were visiting friends and family in the states over yeah. the summer and we had to go into a seven i can't remember why we had to go to a 7-eleven mm -hmm. and i was like oh i forgot <laughs> <laughs> not quite the same experience yeah, yeah yeah and then on top of that comparison you know staying in that same trend of thought well, I guess not, because it's not it's not gas stations, but or it's not even a gas station there. It's a convenience store. But um, anime, anime in the U.S. versus and manga, anime and manga in the U.S. versus anime and manga in the East, in South Korea and Japan. I feel like the bases are really passionate, but I feel like they're passionate in different ways, right? I feel like in the U.S. it's like an obsession, and it's it's an odd obsession to me because I'm on the outside of it. Again, I, I said Avatar was an anime, so I've officially my anime card has been revoked <laughs> completely. But like, you know, it's different, and I feel like you because you're in Japan, you can shed a better light on that. Like, what do you what do you see, right? Like, how do those two compare to each other? There, there's definitely you know big fans in, mm -hmm. in both places there's more hype about things in the u.s mm -hmm. here it's there's a ton of saturation yeah of like anime and manga and so you know people are people are excited when you know new episodes come out mm -hmm. and there is like that commonality yeah. there but i think in the u.s the saturation isn't quite as high so people mm -hmm. get more hyped about stuff right so yeah. and it's sometimes hard to get content so there's animes that are never translated to english so yeah. people are like kind of on the edge of their seats or whatever and here it's more like very prevalent like there's physical posters that get hung up mm -hmm. even in the trains so like there's like numbered places for physical posters yeah. of the seats and kind of in between the aisles mm -hmm. and um you know you'll see anime posters there all the time what about the shows right because when i think of like anime in the u.s i think of like and again this is outsider but i think of like netflix where it's like hunter x hunter and like kill a kill and stuff like that like i feel like they're more built for western audiences right they're built i don't know maybe i'm dead wrong there but i feel like they're more built for western audiences as opposed to japan where i have no idea what is the most popular animes there but are they are they watching different stuff you think like the the really popular stuff tends to be the stuff that gets brought over to the u.s mm, I so like when i was when i was in the u.s getting the, the leftovers yeah, well <laughs> that's how it is yep no. um it's but it is it is sort of like the most popular stuff that yeah. does get that, that does get brought over because hmm. you know it's popular here they then have the budget to do like the localization right so mm. for example when i was in the states my my nephews they would watch one piece mm -hmm. for hours yeah. every day and i was like you know i was i was i was at their place you know and i was uh you know working during the day mm -hmm. um at my full-time job and yeah. you know, i can hear like the screaming in the background i was like oh they're watching one piece <laughs> yeah um and then when i got back to japan mm -hmm. 
because um, they're, they're still making new episodes of One Piece. And I was like, isn't that from the 90s? Like, yeah. they've been making episodes for over 20 years. And mm-hmm. I, I think the answer is yes. They yeah. just have been. And so um, when I got back to Japan, we went to, we had gone out to a mall or something like that. And then mm-hmm. so we were having, we were having dinner and a couple restaurants down. This is inside of a mall, right? So you're yeah. uh, dining, a little bit of an outdoor area, but there was a bar and the TV was on and the guy, people were sitting there and it's One Piece. <laughs> they're watching, they're watching new episodes of One Piece. That's awesome. Okay. You know, 40 year old yeah. men just sitting there drinking beer, watching One Piece. Just hanging out. Yeah. Cool. All right. No, I, that's interesting. So again, that's another, actually, you raise a great point. Another reason that I've struggled to get into anime is because there are shows that have been, that have been around since like the 90s, like Bleach. I remember in, I think I was in high school and somebody was telling me about Bleach and they're like, oh, it's such a good show. You need to watch it. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really watch anime. Like, what's it about? They kind of gave me like, you know, cliff notes or whatever. It's hard to describe. So, so yeah, like, and then I was like, well, how long is it? And they're like, oh, there's like 300 episodes or something or like 20 seasons. It's like an insane amount of content. And I was like, I could never watch all of that like that is a massive nobody got time for that no like it's so much stuff (laughs) but then there's like the reverse side of the coin right where there's like a good anime but then there's only like eight episodes of one season and then it's gone forever so it's like there's no in between and i don't i don't know and then again circling back to Yu-Gi-Oh! as a kid i loved Yu-Gi-Oh! and then i tried to rewatch it again a couple years back i bought the whole set right for all the seasons i was really excited about it i sat down and I got like three seasons in and I was like, wait, this is the exact same episode over and over again. Like the exact same plot, exact, everything happens the same. And I was like, my whole childhood has just been shattered completely. <laughs> and I haven't watched it since. Yeah, it's I mean, tragic. I, I like to think that that we, we grow in sophistication in our tastes as we get older. Maybe. Um, yeah, I, I do remember that, that, that experience too, where I was like, I don't remember what it was. I, mm. It was some anime, and I I started watching a few episodes as an mm. adult. Yeah, I was like, I remember this being really cool when I was like in like ninth grade. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I was like, this is cringy. Like, <laughs> I can't watch this. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, same thing. So yeah. Sometimes. But then there are some really good ones that that have aged really well. Like, um, there's eh, you might like this. It's it's called Mushishi. Okay. It's it's super chill. There's right. like. This took 20 episodes or something like that. Every episode is its own kind of. They, they've built the world, they've built the lore, mm-hmm. and they, every episode is a self contained thing. Mm-hmm. So there are little bits that grow between one episode and the other, mm-hmm. It's it's but it's not subtle, right? So like I you see. can kind of watch them in a little bit of any order, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really chill anime. I, I that was That's a good one. Maybe I'll check it out. My daughter watched this anime called Little Witch Academia. I think it's it. My daughter loves that one. Okay, yeah. okay. And I found myself like really, really getting into it with her. I should be watching it. I'd <laughs> sit down and watch it with her. And she'd be like, all right, I'm going to switch you watch something else. Like, well, let's watch one more episode, right? Like, let's just see what happens here. <laughs> this is like, I'm watching this show. And I'm like, I'm fully engaged in it. This is pretty cool. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll have to so give the next it. Next on your playlist, like My Little Pony, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The start. <laughs> how, how old is your daughter? She's seven. She's seven. Okay, yeah, and yeah. she loves it. Like, she loves. She loves anime. She's into Pokemon. She's into all that stuff. So, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's in the family. I just, maybe maybe it's my time, right? Maybe I need to start branching out and doing more things, you know, in the, <laughs> in the anime spectrum, you know? I don't know. So, I, that's really everything I could think of with this game, except for your your roadmap moving forward, right? Because you're still a little ways out from your release at this point. Talk to me about, talk to me about 2024. Kind of what is in store next year for this game? But we're looking long-term-wise. 
Sure. Like what we're working on now is um, is a public demo mm. for the game. And so what we did is we sort of created this vertical slice of the story. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have that out before the end of the year so that we could get people playing it and and, in, and early into next year and get, get people's feedback and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, we're, once we get that release and it's, you know, looking pretty good, we're going to, you know, going to be moving into production, which mm-hmm. means we're ramping up things, getting people working more hours like on stuff yeah. and, and, and yeah. really, and really pumping through things. Um, and that'll be, be the start to our, you know, our production cycle. And, uh, I'm really hoping I'm not, you know, I'm not going to promise anything, of course, but mm. I'm really hoping that we could have the final version of the game playable and available by the end of 2025. Okay, I got you. So that would be awesome. Yeah. Like, I would love for us to meet that. You know, it's still pretty early right now, but that's my that's my personal target there. So 2024, the year of no sleep for you then, huh? Yeah, yeah exactly. There we go. All right, perfect. That's all we need then. One day.